Bitcoin security. Today we're going to be talking about incident response plans and disaster recovery. Before we get into that though, Jess and I are going to be talking about our experience this last weekend at WordCamp Phoenix, and we've got some interesting news from Ram as well. Starting us out, Jess, what was your favorite part of WordCamp Phoenix this weekend? Uh, I think my favorite part of WordCamp Phoenix was probably former host Mikey Veenstra's uh, talk about the anatomy of a hacked site. He that gave, was pretty cool. Yeah, he gave a really good speech about how WordPress sites get hacked, how leaving your files accessible to the internet can be dangerous, how it doesn't take a whole lot to hack a WordPress site, just a little bit of good Google dorking. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he had a, the most questions that I saw, too, of anybody out oh, there. Oh, he had a crazy line of people wanting questions after his time was up. Yeah. Yeah, security is always the, the sexy topic at WordCamp. So I think that was probably my favorite part. That was cool. It, it How really about you? Was. Uh, for me, I, I mean, obviously, Mikey's was an amazing talk. It, it was great to see one of our coworkers there uh, giving that presentation. But as well as that, uh, probably my, my next favorite would be uh, the talk on Gutenberg. Uh, it, it was just really interesting learning about the new interface for editing WordPress uh, websites that's supposed to be coming out in version 5, uh, basically going to more of a block-based system. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a lot easier uh, for the beginning users of WordPress to actually go in and build their sites rather than having as much of a learning curve as there is now. I don't know how I feel about that. I almost feel like that learning curve prevents people from doing stupid things, but... If you look at <laughs> Gutenberg, it prevents that pretty well itself. Awesome. And uh, we all know that the Olympics started last week, and there was some cybersecurity talk about that too, right, Ram? The Olympic opening ceremony was attacked. Uh, it turns out that they didn't just take down the website. Uh, they also took down internet access at the physical location of the Winter Olympics. Uh, video feeds, uh, the drones that they used to fly around were grounded. And uh, yeah, they didn't even go as far as they could have. Uh, they essentially used some stolen credentials, uh, got in the system, uh, pivoted, took over almost everything, deleted some backups, and then just kind of left a calling card. Uh, so the, the first suspect is Fancy Bear, which is the uh, Russian kind of state-sponsored hacking group. Uh, but there's not enough evidence to really point fingers yet. Wow, that's crazy that they, you know, the Olympic Village is basically like a city, right? Like, it's, it's a city that kind of springs up wherever the Olympics happen to be, and they were able to... It sounds like just make the whole thing dark. Is that correct? Uh, well, as far as data is concerned, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, internet darkness. Yeah, internet darkness. Which we all know is actual darkness. True darkness. <laughs> yes, but I mean, if that can happen to the Olympics and they're uh, pretty prepared, uh, that kind of shows why it's so important to have a good disaster response plan of your own. Uh, right. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. So what is an incident response plan? I know that you mentioned that the, the Olympics, I assume, probably had one, and obviously it wasn't where it needed to be for this particular kind of attack. But what for, for anybody who's never heard of that, what does it mean, Ram? Think of a fire drill. It's kind of a checklist of, you know, uh, who gathers all the people together, who's going to be in charge of corralling the people in the building, uh, make sure everyone walks out in an orderly manner, meets out in the grass quad in front of the whatever, in front of the building. Uh, you know the deal. Uh, but it's also super important to know, uh, 
You know, who has the technical skills to handle the emergency? Uh, who's on call when? Uh, what's their contact info? How are you going to get in touch with them? Uh, and do you have someone who's going to get in touch with them who's willing to deal with pushback and waking cranky people up in the middle of the night? Right. You have to find somebody who has the intestinal fortitude to make those phone calls, Yeah, right? to first call the admins who are angry at be- being woken up, and then someone who's actually brave enough to call the CEO and tell them that things are broken and that we've already called the admins and they're working on it. Right. I wouldn't want to be that guy. I don't think I could be that coordinator. I, I just no. don't have it in me. No. So a good a good IRP or a good disaster recovery plan does two things, right? It mitigates the damage done to the website and, as well as the business. So when you talk about disaster recovery or incident response, you're talking about if a website's infected with malware, getting that malware removed, getting backups restored as quickly as possible, but then also notifying your, like you said, the C-suite, your stakeholders. And then if it's a data breach or it impacted customer sites or customer information in any way, also how do we notify those people as well? How do our customers, our, our clients get notified that there's been an, an incident, right? Yeah, that last part gets left out a lot, I guess, but uh, it is kind of important. You want to make sure that at some point you let everyone Everyone who's actually got a stake in it know that you know what you're going to do to fix it. So, uh, or what you did to fix it, right? So the the starting point for creating a really good incident response plan is your people. Um, your we always say that people are the weakest link in cybersecurity. Well, in the case of disaster recovery and incident response, they're also our strongest link. They're our biggest tool. So. When you start to sit down and create your to- your your team, you should figure out who needs to be notified and who is going to make those phone calls. You don't want your cranky 3 a.m. admin to be the guy who's calling the president because he is probably not going to have the best, he's not going to put his best foot forward at 3 a.m. He's mm-hmm. going to be busy getting the website back up. So you should have somebody who's in charge of kind of the umbrella of notifying everybody, coordinating all these contacts, and then identify the order that those people get notified. Do you call the president first or do you call the admin first? Most people would say call the president first, right? Let the or call the admin first, I mean. Let the the admin start working on getting the site up so that when you call your CEO, you can be like, okay, before you freak out, there's been an incident, we're already working to resolve it. And I mean, make sure that you have, you know, lists of who's on call when, uh, make sure they're kept up to date with current contact information. You'd be surprising. You'd be surprised how, uh, how many people and organizations overlook that bit. Right. Um, And then you should create quick guidelines for your most likely scenarios. So if you are collecting customer information, you should always assume that there's going to be a breach. Uh, Put together your scenario for how you would handle that breach, how your notifications are going to go out. Are they going to be email, text message, phone calls? Have a rough draft of that copy written by your copy people so that you already have the verbiage in place. You're not doing it under duress or under stress. Uh, If you think that a defacement is possible, maybe you're politically charged or you're a religious affiliation um, and you think that somebody might have something, have it out to get you, then, 
you know, how are you going to get that defacement down and get the website back up where your backup stored, that kind of thing. That's going to be your, your biggest tool in making sure that the drills that you run for these response plans go smoothly and that people aren't responding under stress and they've never, you know, they've never encountered this before. Yeah. You also want to make sure that everyone that's involved in the incident response or everyone that's actively going to be working on it has a way to communicate with each other, uh, a bridge call, a Slack channel, specifically dedicated just to incident response, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And it's good to have contingencies in place. So if you have a bridge call, also have a Slack channel. If you have a Google Hangout, also have a bridge call. Make sure that there are, you know, if one of those things goes down, if your phones go down, if somebody accidentally disconnects, that you have something in place, preferably um, either face-to-face and in writing or on the phone and in writing that way there's a record as well and then you want to run drills right practice 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 sucking at something is the first step to being kind of good at something so uh you know once you have what your most likely scenarios are run practice drills have a practice version or a dev site defaced and watch your admins and your your network people go through it and make the phone calls as though it were a real situation right yeah. Uh, some companies even have uh, essentially write their own uh, software to randomly break parts of their system in order to test their incident response. And they don't always tell people either. So once no. they have the team outlined and, and the communication outlined, they don't necessarily tell their admins that they're about to run that fire drill, right? Yeah. No, honestly, there some of these are double blind drills. That is to say they have a safety switch to turn it off if it gets really bad, but uh, it's designed to strike when no one is expecting it specifically to add realism. Right. So... You know, I'm actually in favor of the double blind plan. I think you should know how your people are going to react under actual stress, actual fire. How, how, you know, sink or swim, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you should review and update your plan pretty regularly. I recommend quarterly at least. Go through your plan. Make sure that your most likely scenarios are actually still likely you know if you're not collecting information from your customers through your website anymore maybe now you have an internal crm a data breach is no longer your most likely scenario so you have to look at what is your most likely scenario as your business changes that's where postmortem sells a lot too yep and that that is probably your most important is getting the most out of your postmortem so what a postmortem is for anybody who's never been through one is after your drill or your incident, be it you know double blind, be it planned, be it an actual disaster that occurred, go through and review your notes, review what happened, review your response time, review who was responsive on your team and make changes to schedules, to on-call numbers, to documentation uh, as you go through and learn how the incident occurred, how it was handled, and how can you get better? If you don't have server logging turned on, this is also when you will learn to turn it on. (laughs) Right. This is also when you will learn that maybe you need a paid Slack channel because you can only see the last 10,000 messages, or maybe you need a better communication than just text because, you know, somebody's cell network wasn't working or they were incommunicado and they didn't get the messages. So maybe we need to, you know, maybe you need to come up with a more universal response plan that doesn't require 4G that you know, works on Wi-Fi or whatever. Um, that's where your postmortems are going to come in. Every organization is different, and uh, that's why there's no real one template, though you can look up various uh, instant response uh, frameworks. 
uh, to help get started. There's a lot of helpful tips and tricks out there that you can look up. And if you just, you know, Google incident response plan or disaster recovery, you'll get a lot of really good information. But like Ram said, every business is different and an effective IRP is going to be custom to not only your business, but also to your C-suite, to your executives. And to the personality of your admins, if you have a guy whose sound on his phone is perpetually off, do you have to get his laptop to make a noise? If you have a guy who won't answer the phone when you call under any circumstances, do you notify him via Slack and text message? You know, these are things that are going to be different from org to org to org. And it's something that you'll have to kind of work out for yourself as a small business owner, right? Yes. Uh, But everyone kind of learns who they are when everything is on fire. Yep. And that brings us to our final tip. So our final tip today is a little bit different. We've been talking about incident response for businesses, but an incident response plan is a good idea for anybody, you know, even if it's your personal computer. Just like you have fire drills with your kids at home, you test your smoke detectors to make sure that they work and you show your kids how to open and jump out of their windows if there's ever an emergency I or wish a fire. My parents taught me to do that. <laughs> Mine did, and they probably wish I hadn't once I hit. They hadn't once I hit high school and started sneaking out all the time. I know I can get out the window. Right, right, yeah. No, I know how to use this fire escape now. You realize that's a problem, <laughs> but no. So we recommend setting up a personal incident response plan. Think of it as an emergency plan, just like you would have your list of medications uh, and allergies and phone numbers written down in your house somewhere. Think of your computer if something were to happen that your, your data was breached or your computer was hacked. Um, create backups, whether that's uh, cloud backups, which work, Google Drive, Dropbox, et cetera. There's tons and tons and tons of people out there offering cloud backups. I like an external hard drive. If you can invest in it, I recommend a fire and waterproof one because that prevents it from being destroyed in the event that your house burns down or there's a natural disaster. Um, back up your password managers. Make sure you have all of your usernames and passwords in your password manager backed up to that external hard drive or your, your cloud or whatever. And then set up an error, which is somebody whose job it is to clean your browser history, right, in the event of an emergency, but more importantly, somebody who has a secondary user for your password manager and can get into it in the event that you're incapacitated or dead or whatever, um, somebody has access to be able to get your your digital affairs in order and save those, you know, your precious family memories and stuff. The music, Upbeat Forever by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Decoding Security is hosted by Jessica Ortega and Ram Dahl and produced by Topher Tebow for Sidewalk. 